family of a local teenager says she never would have left home without calling. It's praying for the best. I want my daughter home, man. And if she can't come home, I just want to know where she's at. These posters around the towns of Livermore and Jay beg anyone with information to come forward. Posters that Richard puts up every spring, never losing hope. Arrest in a nearly four decade old cold case. Thanks to cutting edge DNA technology, the arrest happening exactly 39 years to the day. When Parabon Nano Labs used that sample to create 3D models of the suspected killer's face. It's heartbreaking. We miss her and we're going to find her. We're going to keep looking until we do. It's like a never ending nightmare. It doesn't end, it keeps returning and coming back. What if I told you the young man while staying at a psychiatric hospital escapes on one of his daily walks and runs off into the woods? What if I said a few weeks later his orange hunting hat is found on a busy sidewalk in Bangor, but to date there has not been any confirmed sightings of Graham Walker? Is Graham safe in keeping his distance from society? His mother is hopeful, but knows he desperately needs help. So tonight we're joined by Tammy Locker Scully. She is the mother of Graham Locker, who disappeared from Bangor, Maine on June 6, 2022. Good evening, Tammy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. So um, for the people that aren't familiar with the case, I just wanted to go into a background of who Graham Locker is, uh, you know, how he grew up, where, where you guys are from, um, and then his childhood, and then leading up to the point where he did disappear. If you could go into that for us. Sure. Thanks for asking. Um, he's identified in the press often as a Norwich man, but he spent a very small part of his life in Norwich Walk. He, he was born in Winterport. He graduated from Hamden Academy. He lived as a young adult in Belfast. He had only lived in Norwich the last five years. And um, he went missing in Bangor because he was a patient at the Dorothea Dix Psychiatric Center. Okay. Now, what was Graham like growing up? His personality? Well, very interesting child. Very creative, very intelligent. I remember him asking me a question when he was a really little boy, um, somewhere between five and seven. Why does God make us and then break us? And uh, wow. I'm thinking, wow, why is he asking a question like that? Right. But it kind of gives you some insight into how his mind works. He, he uh, thought about big questions. Right, now, right. What, what led him to ask that kind of question? Had someone been hurt in the family or he just... No, I don't realized... know. I don't really know because, um, you know, he had not had anything traumatic happen to him. But I think that the story of, um, you know, the Christian story of God creating people and then the reality of the world where, you know, people suffer, people lose lose things suffer loss right 
He just put those two things together and asked that question. Right. Wow. Remarkable insight for a five or six year old child. Exactly. And, you know, not too long after that, maybe when he was seven or eight, he told me he understood that no matter how many toys he had, they wouldn't be what made him happy, <laughs> which I also thought was pretty amazing for a kid because wow. uh, his brother certainly didn't think that. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an older how brother. I was going to ask, how many siblings does he have? Just one? He just has his older brother, Adam. What's the age difference for those two? Two and uh, three quarter years. Almost three years apart. So were they, they were close, close growing up? Pardon? Oh, I'm sorry. Were they close growing up? Yes, they were. Um, we lived in a house in the woods, and uh, the two of them spent an awful lot of time just playing in the woods you know they had a tree house and they made forts and they explored the woods and pretty much were out there all day every day um there were some other kids who lived nearby but yeah they were in each other's company a lot you know how it is in That's rural cool. maine unless you're at school you're home with your siblings so right yep right yeah. right yeah absolutely and and when we were kids we were outside a lot more than kids are today right Absolutely. Yep. So it seems like it anyway. <laughs> what kind of what kind of student was Graham? Graham was uh, brilliant. He uh, kind of had in, has encyclopedic recall of things that he reads. So if he puts his mind to something, he really absorbs it. He uh, speaks Spanish fluently. He He's conversant in French. He has some understanding of Russian and Chinese and wow. uh, German. So he was he's he's always been gifted in languages. Um, he took Latin in high school and you know scored off the charts in that. So yeah, who does that? Like just for fun, take Latin. <laughs> like that's 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 pretty amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's very interested in philosophy and religion, and um, it's a, a fact that's been repeated about him a few times in other media outlets that in his bedroom at the group home that he lived in in Norwich he had 800 books. And, you know, I've, I've explained to people that he could tell you the difference between Nietzsche and Kant, but everyday living is a real challenge for him. Never driven a car, never had a job, never managed money. For those who are unfamiliar with Graham, he is diagnosed both autistic and schizophrenic. So it makes him both non-social, not interested really in interacting with others, but also afraid of people. So he avoids contact with people. It makes wow. him very difficult to find. He's not behaving as most people would be trying to get together with other people, ask people for help. Those kind of things are, are things he's not likely to do. No. Right. First of all, thank you so much for sharing the insight on his childhood. Cause you know, you, you read about these things in the news or in the newspaper and you forget that these these people that are missing are children of someone. And like, I start to up just hearing you talk about um, 
you know, when he asked that question to you about why is God do that to us? He makes us and then breaks us. Like, um, it's very insightful for a young man. And, uh, I just want you to know that that's why we do this. We don't make any money off doing any of this type of stuff. We just want to try to help in any way we can. Uh, we like help create posters and that type of stuff. We are for a platform to share stories of these families. Um, and again, I, I know I've already said this, but thank you so much for, for talking with us. Sure. I appreciate the opportunity. I think it may have left out that Graham's also incredibly uh, creative. He's, he writes poetry. He creates artwork. He can be incredibly funny. Uh, but, uh, you know, he certainly has interest in lofty subjects. Right. And, and I'd seen some of the pictures that he's drawn. Um, and he's pretty, pretty talented for the things that I've seen. Yeah. I've only put a few things online, but, uh, he's pretty prolific. There's a lot of, a lot of cartoons, a lot of comics, maybe not all ready for prime time. Maybe not all all appropriate. These, you know, I, I have things that go back to when he was a teenager that he's created. So. Right. Right. We Uh, all, we all had that phase when we were teenagers where we just wanted to be a little rebellious. Right. Exactly. Some sort of edgy stuff. (laughs) And then his, his painting, I've put some of those on and uh, some of his poetry. Very nice. Um, now, if you don't mind what, and if you want to just tell me if this is inappropriate, if you want this out of here, but what led him to be admitted into the psychiatric center? Was there a specific episode or? Yes. And this is something that, uh, is actually related to looking for Graham, um, a year ago, November. So November, mid November. 2021, he ran from the group home that he was living in in Norwich Walk. And the, you know, the official term for that is, is elopement, meaning that he left the placement that he had at the group home. And we know initially we were very worried that he was lost in the woods and the warden service did come out. And there was a three-day search for him. All of us who, all of us who knew him, didn't think that he would travel along the road because he tried to avoid traffic. There, it was a situation that's that's kind of frightening to him. He would avoid contact with people. Um, very concerned about his own safety. So we thought that he was in the woods somewhere for three days and it was november it was even colder than it is right now sure but it turned out what he did was go into the woods to hide long enough to um i think he basically waited till dark then came out to the road and he walked 17 miles within about 12 hours he was in waterville the next morning we know that from surveillance cameras and then he had money that time so what he did was he went from one fast food restaurant to another he went from 
Dunkin' Donuts to Burger King. That's how he spent his days. And he had a book with him. So, you know, we're, try we're imagining and, and based on, I think, interviews of, of the people who worked at the restaurants that he, would, he was very quiet. He would order food. He would sit in a booth and then he would just kind of hunch over his book. I think that he was probably sleeping during the day in those uh, fast food restaurants and most likely at night walking around to stay warm. And he was gone. We found him on the third day. Wow. He went briefly to the hospital after that. But this is something that I think people don't understand that for someone with Graham's diagnoses, there are very, very few placements, very few group homes with beds available. It's very hard to get into a hospital to receive treatment. Um, so even though his doctor didn't feel he was, he had received enough treatment. He was going to lose his, his place at the group home if they didn't discharge him. He really didn't want to go back to that group home. He wanted to live in a smaller group home, but there were no other places for him to go. So mm. we, um, you know, asked him to go back and we would look for another placement that he liked better. <clears throat> Unfortunately, he bolted again, this time in April of this year. Miraculously, his stepfather and I and his brother found him eight hours after he left. It was just an amazing um, series of events. The, first of all, the warden came out immediately. He was familiar with everything from the, from the elopement in November. He tracked Graham in a very similar way. Graham had gone into the woods, sort of hid, then came back out to the road and started walking. We, knowing that, at least we had a, um, we knew he was not in the woods. We knew he was on a road somewhere. So we mm -hmm. went to the convenience stores in the area and it's a very rural area. So there's very, there's much fewer places to go, you know, to, to ask people to keep an eye out for him and look for him. And uh, a woman working at one of the convenience stores took a picture of my picture on my phone and just amazingly saw him on her way home from work, walking down a, a road parallel to the one we sort of wow. expected him to no take. No kidding. And his brother came from one end of the road and his stepfather and I came from the other end of the road and um, we found him. And <laughs> local authorities, uh, we actually drew the attention of them because we were driving so slowly along the road. We had, we had Graham in our sights, but he wouldn't get in the vehicle with us. So the local authorities helped by lighting the side of the road and we um we we're finally able to um reach graham and you know the uh, ambulance was called and he was taken again to the hospital and then readmitted to dorothea dix and that's where he was in june he had been there six weeks 
when he bolted into the woods behind Dorothea Dix. He was doing very well. He was on a supervised walk with staff. It was something that he had done several times. It was uh, part of re-entry into the community. And that is another thing I think not generally well understood that people, patients cannot live at Dorothea Dix. It's not a, a residential facility. Everyone who receives treatment there has to be discharged at some point, and they have to work up to that by taking walks on the campus, going into the community. He was in the process of that and, and on track for being discharged. As soon as we found the right place for him to live, he had, he had asked to live in a, in a smaller group home that was less rural, and that's what we were hoping to line up for him. Um, I, and I, I do want to explain that the reason that Graham runs is not necessarily rational. We asked him the second time, you know, why did you go? And he said it was an involuntary summons from the nether realm. So that's not a rational reality-based reason to go. And I think that's hard for people to understand how somebody can be as smart as Graham and yet make a non-reality-based decision like that. And right. this, this most recent time from, from the hospital, um, he had no money, no ID, no bank cards, no credit cards, none of the no cell phone, none of the things that you know nearly everyone has these days. He basically had the clothes on his back. So running and being gone this long, being unsheltered and without help, is a decision that puts his life in jeopardy. And the only clue we have as to the reason this time was found in his journals, which I was able to get from the hospital and read. He had written that he needed to be ready to go when their timing is wisest. And there, in that instance, is a reference to the inner voices, the voices in his head. So, you know, mm. the way I put that together is that he had an overwhelming compulsion to run. It, it was not a rational decision. Wow. Now, you had said the first time that he had run, you learned where he had been based off from video and such. Did he not talk to you at all about where he went or was he not willing to? Well, after that first episode, first instance of him running, he was mute for six months, meaning oh, wow. he didn't speak at all. He oh, communicated wow. with us by writing, but I believe we were just so glad to get him back that I don't think I really asked. I certainly never thought it would happen again and right. just wanted to get him on a healthy track again and stable. Um, and hopefully, you know, find him a place that he liked living better. So I, I don't believe I asked that first time. 
the second time I was with him in the ER. That one was so much quicker because we found him after eight hours. We got him to the ER. He was admitted to the hospital over in Waterville and we knew that there was going to be a quick transfer to Dorothea Dix. I was with him like right at that beginning part. And I, I wrote, you know, or I asked him, why did you go? And he wrote it was an involuntary summons from the nether realm. And he didn't start speaking out loud again until a couple of weeks before he bolted from Dorothea Dix. It was a sign to all of us that he was doing better and we could start right. the discharge process. But it, we were totally shocked that he ran. Dorothea Dix Psychiatric Center was a place that he had always in the past felt safe. He'd been there. This would have been his third admission. At one time, he asked if he could live there. He felt safe and secure because there are security guards and, you know, the things that he thinks are, are out to get him, he didn't feel could get him there. So it was a real shock, a real surprise that he would run from there. Absolutely. Right. And that, that came after they were preparing the discharge, though, right? When he was, when he was potentially going to have to be moving out soon anyways. Well, yes, the discharge process is, is long. You just state goals and what Graham wanted was placement in a smaller group home. And so while the slow, very slow wheels of uh, that system churned, they work on things that will make him more successful when he is discharged, like, you know, going into the community, right. taking walks, um, you probably was going to get to the point where he would maybe shop, do some cooking, things like that. Daily life right. skills sort of things. Yeah. But that was, that was all still relatively new or not necessarily new, but stuff that he wasn't super comfortable with anyways. So, right. It's what you're sort of saying before is, you know, he, he never has dealt with his own sort of money and, and that sort of thing. Right. Right. I think uh, daily living skills is something that they always work on with um, people like Graham. And usually in a group home setting, you have certain responsibilities. I know that in the group home where he was staying in Norwich Walk, he did some prep for the meals that the residents would prepare. They cool. let him do that one-on-one. -on -one because he could be uh, disturbed by being in the kitchen with everybody else in there. He's really easily uh, disturbed by noise and hubbub and he right. prefers quiet and, uh, and one-on-one -on -one interactions more than group activities and things like that. So they tried to work around that, but he still had, you know, certain responsibilities um, yeah. of daily living. Was was there anything different about this this walk that he was supposed to be taking as compared to any other one, or was this the first time? It wasn't the first time, and this was a staff person that he uh, liked. He would ask for this staff person because um, she was very professional. He he always respected professional, tra highly trained people. So right. this was someone that he he liked 
and had uh, interacted with many times. Uh, I don't think it had anything to do with the person that he was with. And it wasn't, um, there's no evidence at all that, that any of it was planned. It was a really nice day that day, June 6th. And he had already done his scheduled things like go to the gym and do his workout. And he'd done his scheduled walk. This was sort of like a bonus treat to go outside again because it was a nice day. Okay. Now, do you know if he had books on survival skills or did he have access to any book like that? As far as we know, he doesn't have, didn't ha doesn't have anything like that in his collection of books. Like I said, there's the 800 books from his room. We recently went over and moved all of his things out of that home. And uh, as far as I know, there were no survival manuals or scout handbooks or any kind of, you know, prepper guides, anything that would indicate he's interested in survivalist types of lifestyles or anything like that. So, um, I, oh, go ahead, sorry. So it's possible that he may have um, read about it in another way, maybe online. Um, you know, he watched movies, the kind of movies that any kid would watch. I think uh, I remember him seeing Hatchet about a boy who ends up lost in the woods after an airplane crashes and all he has is a hatchet. And so it's a survival story. And I think those kind of things would appeal to him, but it's not a particular interest as far as we know. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask something along those lines as well Is like growing up. Was that something that like maybe even his brother did was go out and camping a bit, you know, was he familiar with the woods uh, other than just kind of growing up out there? His brother was a boy scout. But Graham wasn't, or maybe Graham, mm. I, I do remember him. He, oh, I know what it was. Huh. I was a den mother and because Graham was home, he, be, he sort of joined in the den that I was den mother of, of scouts. Oh, uh, okay. It was a little above yep. his age group. You know, he was a little young for it, but he did all his the intelligence action. above his age group too, though. So, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, he was um, symptomatic at age seven and misdiagnosed many things and diagnosed schizophrenic at age 14. So, you know, what the way that Graham is has is part of his um, DNA. It is it's part of who he is. It, a lot of people with schizophrenia don't develop it until young adulthood. The most common right. onset is 19 to 20, early 20s, you know. Um, okay. This was something, this is part of Graham. It's part of who he is. Um, and from what I've read and what I've listened to um, in your interviews, you sincerely believe that he is still alive, right? I do. And I'll tell you, part of the reason that I believe that is I feel like a lot of the searches that have been done are were geared toward finding a corpse, a cadaver, and that hadn't happened. So, you know, I, I feel like there wasn't a thorough, immediate search the day that 
that he left the hospital, the day that he bolted from Dorothea Dix, there was a short search that didn't yield any results, any definitive results. And then it was several days before there was any more search. By that point, these the search was drones, air, uh, helicopter, um, things that they weren't sent specific dog searches. They were broader. I think you're looking for um, anybody in the woods when you when you're not doing a scent specific search. You're just looking for remains. And the type of flying done in at that time of year, you you can't really see a person because of the tree cover. You're looking sure. for you're looking for animal sign of vultures circling and and things like that, or bodies in the water. And those those are all things that thankfully they didn't find. Did they do any like thermal searching at night or anything like that? Yes. Nothing conclusive. In all this time, there has not been a single positive sighting of Graham, except for the surveillance camera footage from two hours after he left. That was at the, the Husson Research Building, which is actually on the Eastern Maine Community College campus in the woods by the Sylvan Road. And then several weeks later, DME volunteer Brandy St. Louis found my son's hat at the edge of those same woods. That's it. We've had many possible sightings. We've followed up on every single one of them. None of them has resulted in anything positive. I will say the the um, K9 team that Demi uses was um, on the scene. 10 days to two weeks, I believe, after Graham went missing. Julie is the handler and she was out sick. Had she been available sooner, we might've had more concrete work along those lines. But mm -hmm. her dog is trained to follow older scent and did accurately track Graham through those woods and to the point where he exited them and then the dog further tracked him down Stillwater Avenue, uh, down Broadway towards Brewer, across to the Brewer River Walk, and then across the other bridge to the Bangor waterfront. But that's all we have, basically that area. So we have no direction of travel. We have no real area of interest at this point because right. there's no confirmed sightings. So I live over in Belgrade. Um, I don't know if you remember a few years ago, we had the North Pond Hermit. He had lived in the woods for about 30 years. So there's definitely, you know, there's a good chance that he is kind of hiding out and waiting to do something I, else. I, I would also feel very confident that he's, he's still around somewhere just because he, he, I understand that he has these lapses in, in judgment, but he se still seems like a very calculated sort of person uh, who 
who, who understands sort of what the next step is supposed to be, especially with like the first time he went missing, right? Where he would, you know, move at night that way not to be seen. He knew where to take advantage of the, the stores uh, to get rest during the day. Uh, he, he seems like a, a pretty, like I said, pretty calculated person uh, who's not necessarily going to take sort of extreme risks. Right. He's extremely concerned about his own well-being. In fact, you know, paranoid schizophrenia is the constant fear and worry that you're um, going to be harmed, that you're not safe. Right. And so you combine that with his autism, which makes him very intelligent and capable of incredible discipline once he decides he's going to do something for instance right. he decides he's gonna improve his diet or or work out or something like that those are things also related to his own health and well-being he will do them obsessively like hyper focused so, on it yeah absolutely so you know you combine the fact that you know he actually did something that threatened his life, but he, in his mind, he had to do it in order to protect, to protect himself. Life. Right. And so, yeah. yeah, he, and you know, survival instinct kicks in for everybody. <laughs> so, you know, if he's driven by food, getting food in himself each day. I can see him being incredibly disciplined about hiding out during the day. This time, the reverse because he has no money right. hiding out during the day if he's decided that's what he has to do in order to survive i believe he can do it in a way that most people couldn't because right. he's he's not missing society he's not missing being social or anything like that and if he's decided i need to hide here in these woods and just watch for the time to come out and grab some food and then get back into hiding, you know, I, right. I believe he's capable of doing that. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like it, it sounds like he's completely capable of doing all this, uh, without probably much, much struggle. <laughs> well, I'm sure he's struggling. I'm sure that he's cold and that he's hungry. Um, right. it's been four months that he's been off his medications, which have always helped him manage his uh, symptoms and and function in life it's 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 impossible to know you know how his mind is actually functioning i mean he certainly sees and hears things that the rest of us don't i don't know how exacerbated that is at this point being off his medications you know i have thought that you know there's a part of him that probably wants to come home it's possible that doesn't know how to achieve that. He may think in his mind that he's literally burned bridges or severed ties and and can't act outside of that to to take the steps to willingly return to a place that you know we consider safe for him, safer for him. Um, you know, he's probably eating from garbage cans. That's not a good way to live. Right. And it's going to get colder. Right. The other what? thing that I would add is that we feel certain that people have seen him. 
we find it, you know, unlikely that he's not been spotted. And we think we've spread awareness and raised awareness and that everybody knows about this, but we constantly encounter people who know very little or nothing about it. So I, I think people have seen him, but not realized he's missing. Right. He dresses and looks like, you know, so many men of his age in Maine. He has beard, has a beard, he has long hair, he wears Carhartt clothes, you know, it's not not that unusual right right what uh what were some of the things like if someone were to be to be looking for graham what were some of his interests that might he, he might be drawn to um reading obviously might be one yeah we, unfortunately because he has no money those things you know are less help this time around we would have thought you know he would have gone to a restaurant and gotten some food Mm -hmm. And uh, he might go to a bookstore or a library or a comic book store, things like that, things that, that he is interested in. But because he has no money, the, that we're less likely to find him in any of those places. Right. Around. And in, did he... Did he have a real connection to material stuff? I think you'd mentioned before that not so much. So No. No, just his books. It, you right, know, books. he had a regular size bedroom and he had 800 books in it. Basically, that room has books. <laughs> right. Yeah. Not yeah. much else. Yeah. Some DVDs, you know, and uh, comic books. Books, comic so books, it, DVDs. Is you guys speculation that he's still up in the, the Bangor area? <sighs> That's another thing. It's. It, what's tremendously frustrating is we have no defined area of interest because, you know, in the terms of a search, because we have had no confirmed sighting of him. So we we certainly have spent most of our time and energy looking in Bangor. We've really focused on the wooded fringes of, of Bangor. If, we, if we're thinking that he wants to hide but also has to eat, that seemed to be the most likely scenario that he was right. hiding in a wooded area, not deeply into the woods, but because he would need to access resources uh, from garbage cans, possibly people's gardens, things like that. We don't see him foraging in the woods and surviving this long. Right. Has but, uh, the PD in that area told you if there's been any break-ins or maybe somebody's kayak or canoe gone missing i know it's close to the the river right there in bangor that he could have taken the river down south i mean for to me that seems like an easy way to travel if you don't want to be seen just do it at nighttime mm. you're not walking down the road or anything do you know if I there's anything like that i think he would go anywhere near the water if he had a choice you know okay um he had an experience as a teenager when he actually had left his high school and uh, was in trouble in a stream and the resource officer managed to get him in time that it didn't turn into a worse experience but I think it definitely changed his mind about going anywhere near water it, it was a, an, a um, the thing that he was faced with was a, a bridge where the road narrowed so there was less shoulder and he looked at that and he thought well that's not safe 
all across this stream. And that turned out not to be safe either. That turned out to be the the worst, you know, the the worst decision of the two. Yeah, the the worst, yeah. the not as good choice. And um, he never showed interest as an adult. I, I know a lot, I've been asked this a lot. Uh, a lot of autistic people are drawn to water and, and that's not a characteristic of Graham. He's not attracted to it. He's avoided uh, swimming as an adult he and he's trying to think we we've been in a boat with him but it isn't anything that i could imagine he could handle on his own you know i don't think that he would get a kayak or a canoe and and put it in the water okay um, um if i'll oh, go ahead no. <laughs> um, well, I, I just had who is the 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 actual investigating agency? If someone does know something, who would who would they contact? Would it be the main state police? It is a Bangor Police Department case at this point. Okay. Yeah. Now, what should someone do if they do see Graham? Um, I I know I've heard that they probably shouldn't approach him, but what? Go ahead and tell us what you think that someone should do if they do see Graham. Sure, I think that um, again. I think people's impulse would be to reach out to him and try to befriend him and, you know, connect with him and, and communicate that they're there to help, that sort of thing. That's likely to alarm him and perhaps make him hide more, hide from whatever that encounter is. So what we've asked people to do is if they think they see Graham, the, the absolute best thing would be to take a picture or a video because we could positively ID him. And then that would bring out all those search uh, resources that, that, you know, we can't get just on a, it might've been him. I think I saw him here, you know, that sort of a thing. If, if I can positively ID him, then we would get those resources again, the, the canine team, the, the drones, the thermal imaging, we'd have an area of interest. We might have a direction of travel. If they could, if he does go into the woods, take note of the location that brings out the wardens, if they know the point of entry and, and don't go after him because not only would it make him probably hide more, but it can interfere with the search of some canine teams. So absolutely right. Uh, the best yeah, thing. Wait. And then as soon as you take the picture, call 911. If you don't know your local law enforcement phone numbers or the warden service or anything like that, just call 911. Those are all good points. Yeah, very, very good points. Um, I, I will say maybe to uh, refine what you would call in as a, as a sighting. There are certain things like Graham is not likely to be with another person. He avoids uh, contact with others. So if you see someone who looks like Graham and they're with a buddy or a group of people, it's probably not him. Right. He likes to be covered from head to toe if he can, even in the summer. I, I know that surprises some people, but he would wear a hat all summer. He'd wear a long sleeve shirt, long, long pants all summer. So if you see someone in a tank top with shorts, you know, probably not Graham. Yeah. He, he chooses not to have a cell phone. So if you see someone, you know, animatedly talking on a cell phone, that's probably not him. But if he's mm -hmm. talking to himself when nobody else is there, 
that could be Graham. If he's behaving sort of furtively, if he notices you looking at him and then behaves furtively, that's a sign that, you know, that it might be Graham. So there are, there are certain things that you could do to kind of refine what, what you think is, is maybe Graham. And you had made a good point about, you know, taking the picture. Cause I know there was a video that someone shared with you, uh, with a gentleman getting beat up by two other guys and it looked like a homeless man. Maybe they said, Oh, this looks like Graham. Yeah. Um, but you instantly knew, you knew that wasn't him. Right. Right. Yes. And I, I think uh, Graham even has a, a very distinctive gait that I would recognize. So even if you are getting him from behind that, that would be helpful. I mean, be the best thing is something where we can see his face, obviously, but, uh, you know, even if all you can do is, is get him walking away from you, that's more than nothing. You know, that's better than nothing. Let's put it that Absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we have had to consider the possibility that he is hungry enough, cold enough, that he suspends his mistrust enough to maybe ask for help or accept right. the ride. But I, I think he also might flee from whoever helps him if somebody's helping him. Right, right. So, Just what, what his because if his if his main concern is is his own survival, you know, if he once he gets what he needs, he could be gone. But I mean, hopefully, hopefully he's not hungry enough where he's putting himself at risk. But at the same time, you kind of hope that he will take the risk of of talking to someone, right? Well, we, you know, we hope he has some warmer clothing, for instance. Where would he get yes. that? Could he, could he join a line for a free meal that's being given out? You know, just be in line long enough to take it and then move away with it. Those are kinds of behaviors that we, we think he would be capable of. Um, mm -hmm. Seems less likely that he would take a ride from someone, but I'm thinking if he's very hungry and cold and somebody that seems non-threatening to him an older person maybe a woman offers him a ride he might take that ride but it doesn't mean that he then is that person's friend necessarily because right he's not really interested in making friends he right and to an end. he might begin to mistrust whoever it was who offered the help that would yeah. be you know consistent with how his mind works. All right, Tammy, um, our hearts go out to you and your family, and we can only pray that there's answers found soon with Graham and, and you can bring him home. Thank you. We're sure trying. And we'll do what we can as far as sharing the story out there and getting people to listen to it, as well as sharing his photo. Uh, I know we've, we've shared it probably 15, 20 times over the last six months on our page, but we'll continue to do that as well. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. No problem. Well, thank you very much for, for taking the time to talk to us. Uh, thank you. And I we, we wish you the best of luck. And hopefully we have some sort of update about this. this soon. Then, hopefully you guys make some headway. Yeah, I hope so. I That's another thing is we're thinking it is cold. That may be enough to bring him out. Right. Uh, it's about to start getting him, brutal out. Make him a little more visible. Yeah. Right. Right. 
and, um, and you got hunters in the woods now too. So. Right, and we made a special appeal to hunters and uh, guides that if they see if they're returning to a cabin that's been unoccupied to and they see evidence of somebody haven't been there, you know, please you know call contact authorities, call the warden service, those kind of things. Um, and uh, we are planning to make another sort of appeal. Uh, hopefully before deer season starts, because I think that'll that'll be the most people in the woods. Okay. All right. You're the best, Tammy. Thank you. All right. All right. You have a good night. You have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 We want to thank Tammy for talking with us about Graham. Now, we know that he was last spotted in the Bangor area, but it's been a long time since then. So if you believe that you see him, please do not engage him in any way. Take a photo discreetly, if you can, and call your local authorities immediately. Also, please like, subscribe, follow, or share on whatever platform you view our content on. It's free, and it really helps get these stories out to help the families. And as always, thanks for listening. The search for five-year-old Taylor, Taylor Williams led investigators to Alabama this week. So we have some breaking news from Florida. An arrest has been made. Tonight, after years of agony, a glimmer of hope for the family. Investigators spent hours searching through this house off Pennsylvania Avenue. What could be a major development in the search for missing Alabama teenager. Tonight, a stunning twist in the search for Taylor. Somebody out there knows something. They want to lay him to rest their way, not by somebody else's way.